Let's stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all can have a seat. So good to see uh, all of you. Welcome to church. Uh, welcome to the start of a new year. I don't think I got to see most of you last week, so happy new year, y'all. 2023. It's like a weird sci-fi dream every time I say it, you know? Um, and yet, here we are in this wild, weird world. Here we are. Uh, today is uh, in the church, of course, uh, the first Sunday in the season of Epiphany. So uh, that means that for us, as of Friday, January 6th, Christmas and the season of Christmas is officially over. So if you waited all week until Friday to take down all of your Christmas decorations, um, you were not late. You were right on time, actually liturgically in sync. Um, if they're still up, now you're late. It's officially past time and they should come down now. Um, but it's hard, you know. Uh, I, uh, this weekend, since Friday, have been, um, gosh, for whatever reason, I think because, probably for me personally, this has been a particularly disorienting year. Uh, for those of you who I have not yet had the pleasure to meet, um, I'm very new. I moved to Northwest Arkansas in June. Um, my husband and my two boys, we moved here from Atlanta, where we've been for the last 15 years. And so there's been a lot of change, a lot of new, a lot of disorientation for us over these last few months. And so I wonder if maybe that, for me personally, is why I'm particularly thankful for the rhythms of the church calendar. Um, because January 6th was going to be Epiphany uh, here in Northwest Arkansas and in Atlanta and wherever there are Christians gathered who have chosen to orient themselves around the time of the church and the calendar. And there was a great deal of comfort uh, afforded to me in that. And so we did all the things, you know, um, we made the wassail and we, um, uh, I baked my first epiphany cake, um, which wasn't that great, actually, to tell you the truth. Um, but uh, all of, in an effort to like mark time. And even though I go to Target and Target tells me that it's already time to be thinking about Valentine's Day, you know, ready for you now to, to buy the next thing or to move on from Christmas. Christmas, for many of us, feels like, you know, the distant past already. The invitation of the church calendar, though, is to mark time differently and to try my best by the Spirit of God to enter into a different story. And you might rightly, particularly if you've never done it before, like if all that is new or foreign to you, and I don't suspect, I mean, by the way, um, not all of us in here are very Anglican, uh, myself included in some ways. I love this tradition, but we're all coming to learn it and know it together. So if you don't know it at all, you're fine. Uh, it may not matter to you one bit. Uh, Friday was Friday, <laughs> as far as you were concerned, and Christmas ended on January or on December 25th. So what's the point? What difference does any of it make? Um, and I promise we're going to talk about the gospel reading. 
But I do want to spend just a little bit of time thinking together about Epiphany and this season and the church calendar maybe in particular, especially because there may be some of you who are new to all of it. So here's what I would say about the point. Why for me it has become such a meaningful part of my spiritual practice, my way of following God and staying connected to God, is because with the church calendar, I think there is an invitation to a different kind of time, and not just time, but like an alternate way of doing things, which in its own way is a kind of reminder or reason to hope that maybe there is a different way to live while I am in this world that is bound so much to a different time and a different script and a different story that I can, within that world, choose to reorient myself to God's reality, to God's time, to God's rhythms, and that we can do it together. In fact, we must. Or it's terribly lonely and isolating, actually. The image that came to mind as I was thinking about this is um, train tracks. You know how um, there are those switch tracks where if a train is going, all of a sudden, if there's a, you know, you punch the railroad switch and just like without skipping a step or missing a beat, the train will just immediately switch tracks off to the right and how terrifying that is to be going at a thousand miles an hour and all of a sudden just whoop, off to the right, you know? You don't want to mess that up. And I think I wonder if the church calendar operates or can operate somewhat similarly. There's an invitation, I think, from the Holy Spirit at this time of year. For those of us who are very bound to this time and this world and this life, we feel very caught up in it, that if you would, to kind of like push the button, the railroad switch, that would bump you just to the right a little bit, but put you on a totally different track. You're still within this world, but you're operating according to a different time. I get to choose to orient my life around the life of Jesus through the church calendar. I get to set time and mark time by his time. And that's, that in and of itself is a big deal. There's actually a whole lot of point in that. Because in its own way then, the church calendar, I would submit to you, is not just something that was created for a dry and dead liturgical church that just likes to get together and tell itself fairy tales and pat each other on the back, and then go about a life in a world in which none of it matters at all. If that's the church calendar that you've come to know, then God have mercy on us. It's not its aim. Actually, the gift, I think, of the church calendar is some kind of, to me anyway, a prophecy. It's prophetic. It's bold. Because the declaration that the church calendar would say to you today in declaring that it's epiphany is to declare to you, actually, did you know that God desires to make himself known? Don't forget, church, God desires to make himself known. Not only did he come through the birth of Jesus at Christmas, and yay, isn't that nice, but if Jesus had come as just any old baby and grown up as any old kind of regular person, that would, might be great to a small few, but actually what happened is that by the Spirit of God, God revealed himself, he appeared, he announced himself and made himself known, and that's the only way any of us are here now, 2,000 years later, in a faraway place like Northwest Arkansas, talking about this man born in Nazareth. And I need to hear that because 
the reason that epiphany matters, that matters that God would make himself known, is because if God will make himself known, what that means for me practically is that my life can change. Things can be different. The church calendar is an alternate. It's a switch track. So there is another way to live. And right now is a time of year when everybody is thinking about changing and wanting things to be different. And either you feel very hopeful and optimistic about your odds of really getting it right in 2023, or you've like abandoned all hope and just decided to accept that this year will probably be just like all the rest. This is the time of resolution making, list making, gym memberships. This is the time of year when everyone that, um, not everyone, but some people like choose a word, which is one of my favorite things that people do in New Year's. You know, they like pick their word of the year. Um, You know, whatever works for you, honestly. If you love resolutions and you like making lists, setting goals, all of that, praise God. I think there's a lot of wisdom in a lot of that. It's a beautiful thing to do, actually. But if you find yourself feeling you know, like underneath it all, this, there's this underlying fear or doubt that no matter what you do or goals you set or commitments you make, that you're probably just going to be you at the end of the day and life will just like keep on just like it always has. Then the church calendar, the Holy Spirit through the church calendar, I believe, has something bold to declare to you, which is, ah, Do not forget, God makes himself known. He reveals himself, he declares himself, he is manifest, and therefore there is always hope that change is possible, not just for you, but for all of us, and we cannot afford to forget. This story that we're looking at today, I think, is meant to give us some help as we ask questions about what does it mean for God to make himself known? What does it look like? How does that like, matter for my life? In what ways does it? So I want us to look at the text now with that question in mind. How does God make himself known? How? What should we be looking for? What should we be doing? Three things that I want us to pay attention to as we look at the text. And I'll try to be brief as we make our way through. I think... As I've been sitting with this, albeit very familiar story, the baptism of Jesus, I notice these three things. That God makes himself known through his spirit. God makes himself known through acts of surrender. And God makes himself known through our ordinary lives. Thank you, Lord. Through his spirit, through acts of surrender, through our ordinary lives. So let's take it from the top. Uh, The reason, by the way, that we're looking at the baptism of Jesus on this particular Sunday is because up until now, um, Jesus has just been a dude. Um, You know, living his own ordinary Jesus life. I don't know what it looked like. We don't get a lot of, we get almost no details. He just was out there being Jesus, hanging out. And he knew a lot of people and he did a lot of things. And then there was a moment where that changed and people saw Jesus differently. And it started with John the Baptist, where Jesus decides to, or God decides to make Jesus known. 
And this is that moment, an epiphany. By the way, I should say this before we look at the text or get into it further. When you hear the word epiphany, what comes to mind? What do you imagine? What, what does it mean to have an epiphany? A revelation, a new idea, a new thought. Uh, it, to me, it's like the light bulb that goes off, you know? Suddenly in your mind, you have like an aha moment, which means you've, something has, in the Greek, the word means to appear, to make manifest. Some bit of knowledge that you formerly had not seen has been disclosed to you. It has appeared. You now see it, and you're like, aha, it's an epiphany. And that epiphany changes things. That's, that matters for this season. Because what that says to us is that what happens here on the River Jordan and what I expect to happen in our lives, because the church calendar tells me so, the Spirit tells me so, is at this time of the year, I need to be looking for epiphanies, looking for revelations, small as they may be, that would make some formerly disclosed or hidden or misunderstood thing known, and that changed my life. That's the hope that we have spreading out in front of us. So how did that happen for John? The first thing is, I think, through the Holy Spirit. Um, John was baptizing in the Jordan um, just like he did on every Tuesday. I don't know that it was Tuesday. I just think it's funny to imagine that he had a day like Tuesday where he went to baptize people at the river. Um, all that to say, it was just what he did. He was doing his thing. Um, Jesus shows up at the river, and he asks John to baptize him, uh, which, of course, is not what John expected. It's not what he was planning for on that day. Um, and even when he saw Jesus and Jesus made his way into the river walking towards John, John was not expecting that Jesus would ask him to baptize him. None of this was what he expected, and it also wasn't what he wanted, what he thought should happen, based on what he thought he understood. And yet, for reasons that we are not told, Jesus says, we are going to do this. And when Jesus says, we're going to do this, and John consents, all of a sudden, according to the text anyway, heaven opens, and the Spirit comes. And the Spirit comes in the form of a, a dove. And John hears a voice. He hears God say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What's the point? It was the Spirit who made Jesus who he was all of a sudden to John. It was the Spirit who helped John do the thing he was supposed to do. It was the Spirit who gave him his revelation, in other words. Jesus was Jesus, and the river was the river, and John had a very well-thought-out plan, idea of what should happen, who he was, who Jesus was, how this should go. And on one side of a moment, everything looked this way, and then in an instant, switch tracks. And now everything's different, and John's supposed to baptize Jesus. And all because the Spirit came. Here's what I wouldn't say to you. John had spent his life, we talked about this for those of you who are here at Worship and Prayer during Advent, Jonathan spent his whole life in the woods, in the wilderness, trying to be someone who could recognize the Spirit of God when he came. I suspect not many of us in this room have done that. If you've been living in the woods all this time, 
cultivating the presence of God in your life and looking for Jesus, then forgive me, you are the exception. The rest of us have just been out here slogging it through, you know, living regular kinds of lives. So our life, our ordinary, does not look like John's ordinary. Here's what I would submit to you, though. You do not have to go live in the woods to cultivate the ability to recognize or hear the Spirit of God. You do, however, have to want to hear him. You do, however, have to know to look for him or to expect him. Because I would submit to you that if you were standing on the shore of the River Jordan that day and saw a bird come down or whatever, if you'd been looking into the river, what you would have seen with your regular eyes are two dudes and a bird that flew by. And if somebody had come to you and said, the Trinity just made an appearance. It was the Holy Trinity. The only time we ever see them. Oh, they're, they're there all together. Didn't you hear? Didn't you see? Nope. Two dudes in the river with a bird. I saw the bird for sure. An ordinary bird. And that's funny. Also kind of terrifying. For me anyway. I want to. The Lord knows, however imperfectly, I want to recognize the Spirit when He moves. I want to know the voice of the Lord when He speaks. And I don't have to be anxious or fearful that I will miss it. I do, though, have to be intentional. So whatever your lists of resolutions or declarations that you're making this year, I would submit to you, please, please, add to the list that you would hear the voice of the Lord through His Spirit. Very practically, let's be real with each other. In the same way that I'm not assuming many of you have been living in the woods for these last number of years, you know, cultivating the presence of God in your life, I'm also not assuming that everyone in here prays even every day, let alone has a rhythm or a habit for what that looks like. So here's what I want to say. If it's been a long time since you had any kind of regular prayer life at all, and you feel utterly lost and frustrated even to imagine what that might look like, what if, for you, the place to start was every day you just open your eyes, get up, when you're feeling human again, all you said was, come Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus. What if you did it purely on faith? Just taking the Lord at his word, that there's something very powerful about even the expectation that he might show up, that he might have something to say. So that the ordinary river full of dudes and a bird flying by could be for you something else. Come Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus. What if you just prayed it throughout the day as you thought of it, and that was prayer for you? For the next little bit because otherwise if you commit this year to keeping the daily office and praying three times a day or you're going to pray for an hour or this will be the year when you speak in tongues or what, if that's by the way your resolution power to you and praise God don't hear me saying stop but maybe we don't go from zero to 100 do you know what I mean it's just a great way to feel defeated and frustrated so what if we start with come Holy Spirit help me see Jesus and see what happens. The second thing I notice is that God makes himself known through, at least this moment, an act of surrender or yielding. God makes himself known through an act of surrender or yielding. Jesus comes to the river. 
he walks up to John and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, understandably, no, I need you to baptize me, Jesus. I don't know that this hits for you the same way it it hits for me. But so often in my life, I am waiting for God to do something and frustrated when he is not doing something that I want him to do. Um, And I, as I was reading this story and sitting with it, reflecting on it, the gentleness and the kindness of the Holy Spirit was a reminder to me that sometimes Jesus is looking at me and asking me to do something. And I wonder if that isn't true for us. And sometimes the thing that I think he should do and that I want him to do is just like, you know, not it. Sometimes I'm not wrong. Sometimes I am. And my insistence on seeing things this one way is keeping me from seeing him and the thing he's doing in front of me. So what I find very powerful about this moment with John and Jesus is that John looks back at Jesus, and we don't know why or how, but in the Greek, John consents. Literally, in the Greek, he yields. The imagery of the word is to let go, like you release something when you forgive somebody, which I think is kind of powerful. Because if I'm honest with you, releasing some of the things that I want from God and I'm expecting from him is kind of like forgiving him for having not done it. Letting it go and really letting it go, releasing and yielding to the Jesus standing in front of me, for John changes his whole life. John went from feeling like he was someone who needed to be baptized by Jesus to being the person who held and baptized the Lord. And that's because of an act of surrender and yielding. Jesus became Jesus to him. He saw him differently. He heard the Spirit, heard the Lord. I don't know what that means for you. But if you were wanting Jesus to make himself known to you, don't be surprised if that isn't preceded by an act of surrender or a question for you to yield to him in some way. Lastly, God makes himself known through our ordinary lives. We talked about this last week. John was doing what John always does when Jesus showed up. I don't think that there were necessarily any miracles that were apparent to anyone else. Again, two dudes in the river and a bird flying by. And if you are someone who feels like you desperately need the supernatural and you desperately need miracles in order to believe and to know that God is who he says he is, amen. Same. He has and he will make himself known in that way. In my own life, that's been true. I need you to know that as much as I've talked lately about the ordinary and God showing up in the ordinary, I believe he also shows up in the extraordinary. That he makes himself known in those ways. Some ways that are miraculous and supernatural that we get to see him that way. And if you've lost hope that that's possible for you, first hear me say, 
ah, it's a new year, and praise Jesus, he makes all things new. The former things have come to pass. Behold, new things I declare to you, the prophet Isaiah said. So we are going to be, in Jesus' name and by the help of his spirit, people who hope for, look for, and expect the miraculous. But every now and then, and most often, actually, God is going to make himself known to you through what feels like something that's just, you know, painfully ordinary. And the reason that I'm saying that is because you need to know you do not have to be someone else for God to make himself known to you. You don't have to go live in the woods or get a different job or if maybe you need a different job. Actually, that could be very possible. I'm just let me say it could be possible. You may, in fact, need a different job. You may need another group of friends. What I'm saying, though, is you don't have to be John the Baptist. You don't have to have on one of these. I just can't. It's not the way it works. We are the church. We, together, are the church. And we are ordinary, everyday kind of people living ordinary, everyday kind of lives. And it is our everydayness and our ordinary that God loves so much. That's Christmas and that's this day. Jesus is a baptism of God, for crying out loud. You'd think it'd come with some fanfare is all I'm saying. Some glitz and glory. And he just shows up at the river unannounced. He just stood in line like an average person. Can you, just making small talk in the line? Can you imagine? You've just been standing next to this dude for like 20 minutes, waiting for you. You're getting baptized. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting baptized. Time to start new, I guess. Yeah, same. And then you watch him go down, and let's just say you were one of the lucky ones that got to, I don't know, hear God announce that that was his son that you've been standing next to in line. All I'm saying is, that's just his way. Please don't forget that that's his way. Because not only will you make your own life too small, you'll make the people around you too small. Smaller than any of us really are, or any of this really is. For the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to know and follow Jesus. We have six weeks after this Sunday before Lent begins, when we'll journey through the wilderness together. And we need to know who Jesus is before we follow him into the woods. You know what I'm saying? So we've got six weeks to know what it means to be his disciple and to follow him and to try to understand together what that actually means and looks like. And so I would say to you, don't make any grand declarations about what you're going to change right now, except just being open to the fact that God might make himself known to you in a new way. And that maybe that'll change a lot, and maybe it won't change a lot on the surface of things. But can you at least be open to that? Whatever that would look like, just to say, come Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus. Yeah? Sometimes if Satan can't stop a thing, he'll get behind it and he'll push really hard. Spoiler alert, I believe in Satan. You have an enemy 
is what I'm saying, I guess. Who would very much love for you to believe that your life is too mundane to be spiritual, for the world to be too godless for, there to, for him to be good. And so sometimes if Satan can't stop a thing, he'll get behind it and he'll push it too hard. So if you've decided to pray, you're going to like really pray in 2023, you know? And sometimes there's a voice that's like, yeah, go for it, really go for it. Probably you should read the whole Bible too. Just keep step with Jesus. We're going to do that one step at a time. He is good and generous and gracious and slow. So we'll slow down together, try to catch glimpses of him together. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, over this church, myself, this community, our neighbors, Lord, will your kingdom come? Will you, God, give us epiphanies? Will you help us see Jesus, Lord? We look to you, God. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.